What's going on, y'all? What is going on? This is Jake Taylor Jacobs on the Jake Taylor Show uh, on Brother Ben X Podcast. If you do not know, you need to go and register for the Brother Ben X Pack uh, Podcast. Subscribe because it is the best podcast on the planet. It is the best podcast on the planet. So as you guys are coming in on Facebook and you guys are listening to it live, let me know if you can hear me loud and clear. Let me know if you can hear me loud and clear. Am I good? Listen, 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 Linda, 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 listen. If you if you if you're logging on right now, what I want you to do, I want you to share. Uh, what I want you to do, I want you to share, 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 share this podcast because we're going to be talking about. We are going to be talking about the importance of guardrails. We're going to be talking about the importance of guard rails, guard rails. So the, again, this is the Jake Taylor Jacobs show. On the Brother Ben X podcast, season two, episode two, season two, episode two, uh, on this talking about the importance of guardrails. But we're going to be doing a little commentary from a video um, because I think it's, it's it's very important to get context. Uh, and the purpose of this show is to bring biblical solutions to a worldly financial problems, to build biblical solutions to worldly financial problems. And I think, and I think it's very important imperative uh, for us to understand the gratitude. To understand the gratitude. So what we want to do, we're probably going to turn down the mic a little bit. Let's turn down the mic a little bit. Let's turn down the mic a little bit. We're going to turn down the mic a little bit to make sure that you guys can hear me. If you can hear me loud and clear, if you're look, listening live, let me know that you can hear me loud and clear. If you can hear me loud and clear, if you're listening live, let me know that you can hear me loud and clear. Let me know if you can hear me loud and clear. Trying to get this sound right. We're trying to get the sound right. We're trying to get the sound right. They're talking about turn down the muffler like I know what a muffler is. So if you listen to me right now, let me know if you can hear me clear. Let me know if you can hear me clear. If you're listening to me right now, let me know if you can hear me clear. Let me know if you can hear me clear. If you're listening right now. If you're listening right now, let me know if you can hear me clear. Can you hear me? Can you hear me? Can you hear me? 
Can you hear me? Can you hear me? Can you hear me? Can you hear me? Chandelin said, perfect. I don't know why I couldn't see your comment, Chandelin, until now. Can you hear me? Can you hear me? <laughs> Brother bitch going to be so proud because I finally did it. I finally did it. So, hey, guys, this is Jake Taylor Jacobs on the Brother Ben X podcast. Um, and if you listen to the podcast, welcome to the podcast, the best podcast on the planet. If you're looking at me through Facebook Live, the purpose of this show is to provide you biblical principles to our worldly financial problems. And today we're going to be talking about uh, guardrails and the importance of guardrails and how they direct and they protect you. And I got it actually from my wife. It was inspired by my wife, my boo thing, my true thing, my ooh, ooh thing. For you guys that know me, that is the love of my life. Love of my life, you are my friend. Love of my life, the one I can depend on. Yeah. I don't think they say love of my life, but I added love of my life. The child in jail, feeling like a troop of love. Yeah, ribbon and clear. All right, so. Uh, so uh, today we're going to be talking about the guardrails and what we're going to be doing. We are literally, when I say literally, we're going to be doing a commentary on a sermon given uh, by uh, a pastor um, who was given a sermon talking about, and he was talking about uh, guardrails and how important guardrails were. Can you hear me, King? Yeah. All right, so. My bad, y'all. Uh, so uh, today I was we're going to be talking about the guardrails. I bet I was saying. All right. So we're, that's what we're going to be talking about. And um, uh, she sent me this post. My wife and I have this kind of weird little thing when we want to kind of tell each, tell each other something or we want to um, if we're watching the video and we think that it'll be helpful for something that either one of us are dealing with individually or just something that can give us some sauce. Uh, we, we send each other videos uh, that um, that can kind of get across what we were trying to get across that we couldn't really bring to context or if it's something that just made us feel good. Uh, that's what we have. And so that's what we're going to be uh, kind of doing commentary on today. So this is guardrails part one, uh, direct and protect by a guy by the name of Andy Stanley. So we're going to be doing commentary, uh, on this so that you guys can kind of get some playback for yourself. So, um, I'm going to be stopping and start, starting and stopping and starting and stopping and starting it so that you can be able to get context. I wish I could show the video side by side but currently i can't so let's just listen if you've been around for a while you'll know that about nine years ago that we did a series called guardrails so today we're actually beginning or depending on how long you've been around re-beginning this incredible incredible series guardrails now we all know what a guardrail is a guardrail the the official definition of a guardrail is a system designed to keep vehicles from straying into dangerous or off-limit Areas. It's a system designed to keep vehicles from straying into dangerous or off-limit areas. Um, you generally find guardrails in three areas, bridges, medians, and curves. Uh, bridges to keep us, you know, from going off the edge of the bridge into the abyss. Uh, medians to protect us from oncoming traffic or to protect the oncoming traffic from us. And curves um, because there are oftentimes unexpected changes in 
the road. So what now? What what he's talking about? He's talking about the importance of guardrails and how the system was designed to keep vehicles from straying off into dangerous or off limit areas. So for you guys that are trying to get context of today's show, uh, we're talking about the importance of guardrails in our life. We're talking about the importance of providing protective measures to make sure that we're okay. The purpose of this show, as we said, is to talk about biblical principles to give us financial relief for the financial strain that we're in. Keep listening. Guardrails, as you probably know, in fact, as you do know, maybe you haven't thought of it in these terms, guardrails accomplish two things in particular. Guardrails direct us and they protect us. They direct us and they protect us. And the other thing that's going to be important for our discussion in these next few weeks as we talk about guardrails is this, that guardrails are not placed in the danger zone. Guardrails are always placed in the safety zone. They're always placed just a few feet away from what's dangerous in the safety zone. So if there were no guardrails and you were driving on a bridge, you could actually drive closer to the edge, but we don't because there's a guardrail there to protect us. And even though it kind of takes up some safe space, no one argues, no one argues with the logic, no one argues with the logic of placing a guardrail inside the safe Zone. The other thing about guardrails, and maybe you've experienced this, is that guardrails are designed to minimize damage, to minimize damage. The damage done when you hit a guardrail, the damage done when you hit a guardrail, as you know, maybe from personal experience, is minor by comparison to the damage that would have been accomplished if there had been no guardrail. So, so why are we talking about- So what he's talking about right now, he's talking about the importance of guardrails and what Andy Stanley is talking about in this this four-part series of guardrails, and we're providing commentary to it because yeah, I want to give some financial uh, advice from uh, this concept that he's talking about. So he's talking about when it comes to guardrails. If you look at a guardrail, if you're driving on a highway, typically the guardrail is in what we call the safety zone. You will never see a guardrail at the absolute edge of a hill or at the absolute edge of a mountain. Typically when you're driving, uh, the guardrail is still, um, uh, you know, far away from the ongoing traffic or the guardrail is far away from the uh, edge of the mountain. So at least when you hit the guardrail, the damage from it will slow you down and still protect you from going into ongoing traffic. So what he's talking about is that the importance of the guardrails and how, and he's setting up the, 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 he's setting up the uh, the, the, what he's talking about in, in showing that guardrails are there to protect us from ongoing traffic. And we're talking about traffic of life. We're talking about uh, uh, bills. We're talking about debt. And so we're going to tie it all together here in a second. Okay, stay tuned. About guardrails. The reason we're going to talk about guardrails and the reason we entitled this message series, message series guardrails is that the highway The highway, the roadways, the byways, the highway is not the only place we need guardrails. In fact, if we were perfectly honest and if we had time to go around the room and everybody could share a story, the truth is most of us, maybe all of us, but most of us for sure would agree that our greatest regrets, our greatest regrets would have been avoided and could have been avoided if we had had some guardrails in our lives, if we had financial guardrails, if we'd had some moral guardrails, if we'd had some relational guardrails, maybe even if you'd had some professional guardrails, which means, and the reason we're talking about this is that few Future regrets can be avoided if you are willing and if I'm willing to establish some personal guardrails. 
Oh, now we talking now. So we, we, we're getting into the thick of the plot. We're talking about guardrails in your life and how, how having guardrails in place will keep us from making decisions that could cause a lot of harm to our bodies, cause a lot of harm to our relationships, cause a lot of harm to our financial uh, sustainability of our life. We're talking about guardrails. And what, and what he's starting to get toward, like, oh, I can't wait till he get into the thick of it. Because when we begin to start talking about guardrails, these guardrails, Guardrails are put in place to protect us from further damaging ourselves. And so how wouldn't we wish that we had guardrails in place to protect us from making the mistakes that we made in life? Maybe having a baby when we weren't supposed to maybe maybe purchasing a home when we weren't supposed to maybe, you know, uh, um, not going to school or going to school when we were or were not supposed to maybe getting married when we weren't supposed to. There's going to be somebody that's listening to this podcast today that is going to be able to that's going to be able to be truthful today about the importance of guardrails and how you wish that you had some parameters in place that could have protected you from making some of the decisions that we are still paying for today. So stay tuned. Keep listening because we're about to get into it. Now, now the challenge, and we'll talk about this for the next few weeks, the challenge is culture doesn't really encourage guardrails. In fact, culture doesn't really encourage any kind of rules or any kind of um, firm guidelines at all. Culture is perfectly content with painted lines, some suggestions, some warnings, but culture doesn't like guardrails. And when you begin to establish guardrails, and when people find out about your guardrails, even people who are close to you and love you, they're not going to necessarily encourage you. Because, again, we live in a culture that has gray lines and doesn't encourage guardrails. In our culture, we hear things like this. Drink responsibly, which is really good news, except what does it mean? And if you drink responsibly, if you drink it all, at some point, you become so inebriated, you're not really a responsible person. So I'm not sure responsible drinkers know when they're being irresponsible. And I'm not sure. But it's a great guideline, but it's not really a guardrail. Or how about this one? We tell teenagers, tell college students, but teenagers in particular when it comes to sex, wait until you're ready. Now, my theory is a woman came up with that suggestion, and that's not a knock on women, but I think that might be, maybe it's good advice for women, but if you were to say to a teenage boy, wait until you're ready, (laughs) he would just look at you like, I was born ready. Now, I'm not knocking that as advice. I don't think that's, you know, I don't, I'm not saying that's terrible advice. I'm just saying that's a painted line. That's, that's not a guardrail. Wait until you're ready. Or here's the one we hear all the time. Consolidate your debts. Consolidate your debts. Consolidate your debts. That may not be bad advice either. But that's not necessarily a great financial standard. Or if we kind of go to the bottom of the bucket, you know, listen to your heart. What is your heart telling you? That's... I just think that's like maybe the worst advice anyone's ever given anyone. But, but again, in our culture, in our culture, there is resistance to rules. I understand that because nobody wants to be told no. I don't want to be told no. You don't want to be told no. So culture disses guardrails. In other words, we're not going to, you're not going to get applause. You're not going to become the most popular person in the office or maybe even your family when you establish guardrails. So, so when he's talking about guardrails, what he's talking about, um, he's talking about the importance of putting rules in place that can protect protect you. And and it's a lot of people who run away from God. It's a lot of people who do not like the authority of God and doesn't like the, um, uh, the, the, the rules set and the responsibility that comes with being a follower of God because he, he brings about principles that we do not like. And when I come to giving financial 
uh, financial uh, advice, when I give financial understanding uh, to help us get out of our financial messes that we are or that we are not in, the biggest thing that we fail to realize is that rules are put in place not to harm us, not to keep us from having fun, but to keep us from making the same mistakes that we did in the past. And just yesterday on the show, I talked about how we put ourselves in slavery by going and getting debt. It's not that God doesn't want you to have a successful business. He knows that using other people's money or getting funding real quick can supercharge your business, maybe give you the things that you actually want in life a lot sooner, a lot faster. But the question is, at what demise, at at, at what cost does it come with if you do not uh, stay away from the dangers of life? And what happened with Pharaoh and the Egyptians and the Israelites and the Canaanites that became Egyptians under the rule of being in Egypt, um, what they did was because they submitted their free will, their freedom, they willfully gave up their 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 livestock, their money, and also their bodies in their land so that they could have, quote-unquote, protection and the food from Egypt. They could have easily just uh, moved out of Egypt and found a place that was not in famine and been free. But at the cost of being comfortable, they traded their freedom away just to have what the illusion of freedom felt like. See, I tell people all the time when we're giving financial advice, just because you can afford the monthly payment doesn't mean that you can afford the actual cost of the debt and what's happening is we're putting ourselves in our own slavery boxes in our own slavery jail cells because we're moving a lot faster there are no guardrails put in place that can keep us from making the same mistakes peace family thank you for checking out the brother ben x podcast many people are wondering what can i do now since digital real estate closed on october the 1st I still want to learn how to make money on social media. I still want to learn how to market and I still want to learn how to build my brand. Well, there's one more way that you can do it. It's a couple ways, but I want to tell you all about the ABS tribe. The ABS tribe is weekly coaching every Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday for only $50 a month. If you are looking for accountability, if you're looking for a group of people that's willing to inspire you, help you out, support you, encourage you, you want to get inside of our ABS tribe because every Tuesday and Thursday, me and Brother Jake or one of our more top million dollar friends or six-figure friends are on teaching you every single week. If you want to join the ABS tribe, go to www.whatisabstribe.com, www.whatisabstribe.com. Over and over again. So today's topic, we're talking about the importance of putting guardrails in place. Man, wouldn't it have been good to have guardrails in place if you knew that you had your child? God doesn't want you not to have sex. He loves the fact that sex is good. Let me tell you, sex feels real good when you know you're having sex with your wife and you know that it's responsible and you know that God is blessing it. But sex under the influence in all so uh, under the illusion that you're ready for the responsibility of what comes with sex, most of us don't have those guardrails in place, meaning you have a child before you an illegitimate child before you can actually afford the child. And then guess what? Now that child comes with a cost and that cost is something that you don't want to pay. It's not that God doesn't want you to have sex and have fun and feel good. He just put guardrails 
guardrails in place, rules in place that can keep you from making mistakes of your forefathers. Does that make sense? And so some of us are paying the price. Some of us are paying the cost uh, in, 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 in our response or, or having to pay today for the mistakes of not having guardrails early in our life. And somebody on here will be able to attest to that if you were to be honest. But let's keep listening to it and we can keep moving from there. Culture doesn't encourage guardrails, but at the same time, culture shames us and mocks us when we end up in a ditch financially, right? Or morally, or in our marriage. Now, here's a great and controversial illustration of what I'm talking about. For years, it has been referred to as the Billy Graham rule, the Billy Graham rule. Back in the 60s, it became known that Billy Graham had a rule, so it became the Billy Graham rule. And the Billy Graham rule, his rule was that he would not ride in a car alone with a woman, have a meal alone with a woman other than his wife, and would not meet in exclusion, you know, um, with a woman in a place where people didn't know they were meeting together or with a closed door. That was his rule, and so it became known as the Billy Graham rule. Then it became known as the Mike Pence rule because our vice president, it was discovered that he applied the same rule. And when people found out about this, um, people kind of went berserk. And, and, and there was, there's reasons why, because this rule, as we're going to talk about in a few weeks, certainly has been misapplied. But the truth is many married men and many married women have applied this rule for years. And yet when it became known that our vice president didn't try, you know, travel alone, you know, meet privately with. So here he's just talking about um, how uh, uh, the Billy Graham rule was a uh, Billy Graham put guardrails in place that said that he would not sit with a woman by himself if it were not in the presence of other people. Uh, in the public setting where people knew where they would be, especially being without his wife. Why would he put those rules in place? Because he knows the nature and the habits of man. They know the habits of women. And if you spend a bunch of time with somebody without your wife, and you're talking about being at the at the workplace, this is something that's important. But we're gonna we're going to um, we're going to back up a little bit on this video because I kind of want to go over uh, something else that he talked about before he talked about the Billy Graham rule, and then we're going to uh, have a conversation about that i'm not sure but it's a great guideline but it's not really a guardrail or how about this one we tell teenagers tell college students but teenagers in particular when it comes to sex aren't ready <laughs> now i'm not knocking that as advice i don't think that's you know I don't, i'm not saying that's terrible advice i'm just saying that's a painted line that's that's not a guardrail wait until you're ready or here's the one we hear all the time consolidate your debts consolidate your debts consolidate your debts that may not be bad advice either but that's not necessarily a great financial standard or if we kind of go to the bottom of the bucket you know listen to your heart what is your heart telling you that's I just think that's like maybe the worst advice anyone's ever given anyone. But, but again, in our culture, in our culture, there is resistance to rules. I understand that because nobody wants to be told no. I don't want to be told no. You don't want to be told no. So culture disses guardrails. In other words, we're not going to, you're not going to get a plot. So, so when I talk to people about not utilizing debt, it's, it's talking about culture is disre- disregards guardrails. And the reason why culture disregards guardrails is simply because, uh, 
culture doesn't want um, uh, 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 advice when it comes to playing it safe. Everybody in society, literally everybody in society um, is literally uh, uh, talking about all the optimistic sides when it comes to getting themselves in debt. You know, purchase financing homes using bank debt, um, starting businesses using bank funding and, and and the point I'm making is it's not like I'm not I'm not saying I'm not saying that there aren't uh, uh, people who are making you know millions of dollars um, by using debt what I am saying is that should not be our standard to get funding and to depend on funding in order for your business to survive shouldn't be the standard of how to build up a successful business. It should not be the standard of which how we live in a day to day manner. So what I'm telling people about not utilizing debt um, uh, uh, from the bank specifically, I'm not saying not to get outside funding. I'm not saying not to find investors. What I am saying is stop uh, stop allowing for the banking system in the society that we live in keep you in uh, indoctrinated uh, into one type of way to get funding for your business or whatever have you. But most people don't have a funding business. You have a skill set problem. You don't have enough skill set. You haven't developed enough skill set required in order for you to be successful. So the guardrails that I'm giving people in life is that, you know, it's it's a lot safer not to text and drive. There are a lot of us that text and drive and that make it home. But should that be the standard of which we drive? Absolutely not. Because if I'm texting and I'm driving, it's increasing the livelihood, the likelihood that I would crash. If I text and I drive, it's increasing the likelihood that I would die. If I text and I drive, it's increasing the likelihood that I can also injure myself, injure someone else, or accidentally kill somebody else. So when we're talking about utilizing debt, we're acting as if using debt is the safest thing in the world. And a lot of people are like, hey, Jake, uh, I know it's not the safest thing in the world, but utilizing debt, that's the only way that you can be successful in this life. And I'm like, no, just because you survived using debt one time doesn't mean it won't kill you. Just because you survived, uh, just because you survived uh, 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 using heroin one time, you no longer use it. It's we're not supposed. It doesn't mean that we're supposed to freaking, uh, 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 you know, use it for. If you can't use it every day and expect that it won't come with some type of addiction or some type of side effect. So the dependency that we have on 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 using bank debt is literally sickening. And that's what I'm speaking out against. We're talking about guardrails being in place, keeping you from putting yourself in a position that you won't ever be able to get out of. And so we're going to get into the thick of this conversation so that I can really get to the point that I really want to make. And it's going to require us to uh, actually look at how we think about life and really challenge the way you believe about some stuff. And it's really sad that. That some people really think that the only way that we can be successful is if you literally borrow money. And I, I just don't I understand that the, the idea of it. But too many people more than not have have literally been killed using debt. Too many people more than not have been killed utilizing debt. So 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 to say, you know, uh, just because somebody uh, just because you made it home from drinking and driving doesn't mean that that should be the standard of which everyone should drive. 
We know that there have been more people that died from being drunk in, 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 in driving than there have been of people who actually made it home safe from drinking and driving. That is safe to say. And so with that being said, there are more people that have become addicted to using crack and dying from it or, or, or messing up their family's life than there have been of people using crack, not getting addicted and going on about their life. Just like it's been more people than not that have literally been crushed using debt. And has not it, they have not make it. Everybody has the idea, the ideology or the concept, the construct that I'm using debt only for a small period of time. And then after this small period of time, I'm not going to use it anymore. But the truth is the reason why the banks allow for you to use that money so freely and they encourage you to is because if you can break the addiction one time, you say what? I'm going to go back. And then when you go back, what happens? You dip in some more. Then you dip in some more. Then you dip in some more and your entire life has been predicated on borrowing money from the bank. And now your dependency has left from being in God's hands, which which he gives us the ability uh, to, to do. But we put it in the hands of man who created a system that has not been into our benefit still till today. So today we're talking about guardrails and how rules and following biblical principles can keep you from losing your freaking money. Mind. And so we're, we're talking about uh, we're, we're doing commentary on Andy Stanley. I want to get to his point and then I really want to dive into biblical principles that we can use to help us be able to make better financial decisions in our life. Passage in Paul's letter to the Ephesians, Ephesians chapter five. It's a passage that we've talked about before, um, not necessarily within this context. The Apostle Paul has just finished telling these Christians in ancient Ephesus that there's things they should stay away from, there's things they should do, there's things that are harmful. It's sort of predictable, typical list of behaviors to embrace and behaviors to be careful of or to stay away from. And then he says to this audience, he realizes, okay, they're going, okay, I want to stay away from that. I want to embrace that. I want to move toward that. I want to move away from that. And it's like the Apostle Paul realizes, okay, I need to give my listeners and my readers some handles. So then he goes into how to approach or how to live in such a way that you don't end up in a ditch on the left or a ditch on the right as it relates to relationships, finances, morality, friendship, you know, just about any area of life. And here's what he says. I want to walk you through these verses kind of slowly. Ephesians chapter 5, the Apostle Paul writes this. Be very careful then how you live. So the standard for living for a Jesus follower in particular, but even if you're not a Jesus follower, this is just great advice. Be very careful then how you live. And the little Greek word translated in this translation, live, literally means walk. So there are other translations of the Bible that say, be very careful then how you walk. If you have a large dog and a small yard, you understand what the apostle Paul is getting at here. That when you walk out into your small yard and you had your large dog out there, you are very careful then how you walk, where you step. That's the idea behind this. He says, look around. He continues. He says, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise. Now, wisdom serves as the decision-making template. Wisdom serves as the decision-making template in both the Jewish scripture and in the New Testament. That both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, we're told that we are to walk wisely. So in talking about walking wisely, 
Let's let, 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 let's talk about walking wisely, because I think most of us, um, you know, when it comes to financial understanding uh, and, and, and in Ephesians uh, chapter five, verse 15, uh, Paul is saying, therefore, be careful how you walk, not not as unwise men, but of wise. So when you talk about be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but of wise. Let's think about it. Let's stop making decisions when it comes to let, let's be rational when it comes to how you would purchase, let's say, a home. You know, people talk about, you know, that a home is an investment. The question is, if you think that buying a home is an investment, if somebody came to you and said, hey, can I can uh, can you invest $200,000 into my house that I want to live in for my family. If you, can you invest, can you invest $200,000 into my house that I live in? And, um, uh, that will be a good investment. The very first thing that an invest, somebody investing in that property will ask you is what they're going to ask you. Okay, what is the rate of return? What am I going to get out of it? And you say, hey, listen, you're going to invest $200,000 into my property, but my family, we're going to live in it forever because we want to pass this property down to our kids and our kids' kids. The investor is now going to ask, well, what's in it for me? Well, what's in it for you is that you have equity into a property or into a house or a land that we're never going to sell because we want to give it to our kids and kids' kids as generational wealth. That investor is going to pass on that deal. Why? Because that wouldn't be a wise investment for them because it's not cash flowing anything. However, if you told the investor, hey, listen, can you give me $200,000 for this house and I'm going to pay you uh, 42% volume interest, 4% rate of return interest that's going to uh, uh, pay you in cash flow $1,200 a month over 30 years, the investor would then say yes. Why? Because they know that they're going to make uh, three hundred and forty three thousand dollars of interest for allowing you to borrow that two hundred thousand dollars. When you begin to look at uh, uh, when you begin to look at situations as it pertains to how you handle money, it's a easy. I mean, when you look at it from based on if you separate from making emotional decisions versus wise decisions, it, it's it's literally a, a a day and night difference when it comes to looking at all situations from being a person of wise, being a person of high being in great stewardship so when it comes to understanding how money and how currency works we're supposed to use wise intellect to be able to help us make better decisions and what paul is saying right here it says don't be unwise man but be wise verse 16 it says making the most of your time because your days are evil and so what he's talking about right here in 17, it says, so then do not uh, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. You don't think that God wants you to live an abundant and immaculate life. You don't think that God wants you to have the, uh, the, the moon and the stars and to be above all things. You don't think that God wants you to have more than enough. He wants you to have your double portion. He wants you to be pressed down, shaken together and runneth over. You don't think that God wants you to live a life of absolute uh, immaculate uh, lifestyle, but not at the cost of your freedom. Why would you want to why, why would you want to give away that at the cost of your freedom? It literally does not make sense when you think about, you know, uh, uh, when you really think about what what the cost of your freedom is and, and, and me getting into debt with the bank. It is not more in my benefit, more in my favor than it is for the bank. 
And and some people may go to scripture and they say, well, Jesus gave a parable talking to a landlord that was talking to his three servants that said, got mad at one of them and that said that you at least could have gave your money to the banker. Uh, and the banker would have been able to gain interest from it. What you got to understand when people used to give money to the bankers back then, let me, let me give you a little context. If I were to give you a little context, one of the contexts that I will be able to give you is simply this. The, the context is, the context is, is that back in those times, literally, 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 back in those times, the banks used to give the, uh, the, the, the loan depositor more money. The banks used to give you, us, more money because it was our money that they were making interest. But in some point in time, literally, we went from getting 10 to 12 percent interest in a savings account or using the bank to now getting 0.01 percent. They literally just traded um, the responsibility and put the responsibility on us. So when it talks about being wise, when it talks about using your money, being fruitful, that's what Paul is talking about. Then he goes down and says, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is dis." dissipation for do not get drunk in wine for that is dissipation let's ask ourselves what dissipation is we're going to look it up real quick and we're going to figure out what dissipation is let's look up the word dissipation Dissipated living, a descent into drunkenness, sexual uh, dissipation, the squandering of money, energy, and resources. Uh-oh. So what Paul is saying right here, he says in, in, in uh, Ephesians 5, uh, verse 18, it says, And do not get drunk with wine, for this is dissipation. The definition of dissipation is dissipated living or the squandering of money, energy, and resources. Well, what can we get drunk in? Of course we know that wine, little alcohol, is not the only thing that we can get drunk in. We can get drunk in drunken greed. Hello, I'm talking to somebody. We can get drunk in greed where your need for getting ahead faster than you're ready for, the need for having uh, wanting to get drunk and having this immaculate house that you know you can't afford and that drunkenness will cause for you, watch this dissipation mean, it'll cause for you to squander money, energy, and resources away to purchase things that you just cannot afford. Am I talking to somebody? Because somebody got to understand, we need to understand why putting ourselves in the situations that we put ourselves in is not what, what, what Paul is talking about. It says to get filled with the Spirit, to be filled with the Spirit is to be comfortable with words. Where you currently are in life. It's not, it's, it's to be appreciative. I'm sorry, not comfortable. It's to be appreciative of where you are in life and what you have. Not just, I'm always needing something else. And it's our drunkenness for wealth. It's our drunkenness for greed. It's our drunkenness to have the best, to be the best. Not because we want to show a manifestation of how amazing and how immaculate God is in present in our life. But it's because we want to to show other people that we are winning and that we're successful. And that means that we are willing, watch this, to literally get in bed, drunkenness. And, 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 and we talked about in Ephesians 5.15, it says, 
It says, be careful how you walk and, uh, and don't be unwise. Be wise. 16 says, making the most of your time because your days are foolish. And then 17 says, don't be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And then 18 says, do not get drunk with wine for that is dissipation. We already understand that dissipation means to get drunk and have sexual activities, immoral sexual activities. We also understand that dissipation means to be drunkenness and to squander away money, energy, and resources. So every time we get drunk, in lust what happens we have sex with people we ain't got no business having sex with we end up having babies with people we ain't got no business having babies with and then we're living with the cause and effect of that decision of being drunk watch this in lust when you're drunk in greed what happens you find yourself getting in bed watch this with people meaning the banks and with people that you ain't got no business getting in bed with and it forces you to have this baby of debt that's causing for you to lose your mind now people are like Jake. Now you're 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 you're, you're getting you're, you're you're getting ahead of yourself because because that I mean let's be honest, Jake. Let's be honest, Jake. There are people who have you know um, who have got into debt and they're fine. There are people who built businesses and got themselves into debt and they're just fine. And then you'll give me plenty of examples of how successful people have used debt. And then I can give you 10,000 times more examples of when people used debt and wound up dead financially, dead emotionally, dead spiritually. So just because somebody had sex one time and, and had sex all their life without using a condom, and, and, and found a way for them not to have any babies. Is that the standard of which to practice safe sex? Is that the standard of which to be uh, sexually moral? The fact that somebody was able to not have a baby after seven encounters of having sex? No, because I can give you an example. Me being one, my family, my, my dad and my mother had sex one time, so they say. And I wound up being here. From a one-time oopsie. I can give you 10 times more examples of how somebody used uh, practices unsafe sex. Not being married caused the cause and effect of having a baby sooner than they were responsible for having a baby. Just like I can give you 10 to 20 times more examples of debt killing people. Literally, financially, phys uh, 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 physically, uh, physically. We talk about that in my book, Physically. And also, uh, killing relationships. So when we think about the cause and effect of these things, we have to understand what exactly happens to us when we put ourselves in these financial predicaments. And what Paul is saying is do not be drunk because drunkenness causes dissipation. We know that dissipation, as we looked up the definition, the definition of dissipation, dissipation is to squander away wealth, time and resources. What have you gotten drunk in that allowed for you, that caused you to literally lose all of your time, your resources, and money? What have you gotten drunk in? Because you didn't have watched this guardrails up. You know what guardrails are meant for? Guardrails are created so that you don't find yourself losing things. The reason why, biblically, it gives us principles of what we're supposed to eat versus what we're not supposed to eat. It's not because certain foods aren't good. It's what it does to your body long term. 
And the cause and effect of you not having guardrails and you living reckless with your body, with the food that you eat, will cause for you to lose, watch this, resources, meaning time on your life. Guardrails. God put up guardrails in our life not to neglect us from having great things in life, but to protect us so that we can have a long, prosperous life. When we think about the things that have happened to us over the lifespan of our of us making terrible uh, uh, decisions, think about your life. Really be honest with yourself. How many of us could have really made better decisions in our life that could have given us a lot more time uh, and energy and uh, it kept us having a lot more money in our bank accounts if we just listen to advice and listen to keeping guardrails out of our life? I'll give you guys an example. When I was in college, I almost got a charge with a rape case in college. In college, I, I almost got charged with a rape case. And let me explain to you what happened. <clears throat> I was somewhere I wasn't supposed to be at the wrong time because I didn't have guardrails in place. Guardrails are created to protect us from the dangers of life. And I know I wasn't one supposed to be drinking, wasn't one supposed to be fornicating in an immoral way. And two, I had no business being on another campus. So I went to this campus and I was, I'm in a fraternity, Omega Sapphire. So I went to this campus and then going to this campus, I um, was engaged in sexual activity with the lady and all of my frat brothers, they were all, we were all in different rooms doing what we didn't have no business doing. And, um, so I, I, I did whatever I did with the young lady. <clears throat> then I left and I went to my car. I went to the car cause it was, we all agreed to be ready to go at a specific time. So then when we got ready to go at a specific time, I went to the car and the girl, you know, she was texting. She walked me to the car and then she walked back to the dorm. And then, you know, I said, okay, you know, we're going to go. We, we made our peace. And then my frat brothers, I text them. They weren't ready. And so I text them. They weren't ready. So while I was waiting for them, I went into a male, uh, the washing room. And when I went to the washroom, there was another young lady who was familiar with our face. I chopped it up with her for about 30 minutes, 40 minutes. All of this is going to come into play. And so um, I chopped it up with her at 34 minutes, and I said, man, I don't know where they are. This is a small campus that we were in, so pretty much everybody knew when the cues from another campus, where they were and, where you know, what we were doing. And so I said, man, do you know uh, the dorm that my, you know, frat brothers are in? She told me the dorm room, so I went and knocked on the door. When I walked in there, you know, they were, you know, they were, you know, having, you know, sexual uh, activity with a young lady, willful sexual activity with a young lady that was there, so... She actually came when I knocked on the door. She came and opened the door. She was naked. And she literally walked back into the room and was doing whatever she was doing with, uh, you know, my frat brothers. And um, so I was there with one of my frat brothers. We were standing there. and It was like weird. I'm talking about I had no business being in there. And I should have been responsible to tell my frat brother they had no business doing what they're doing. But you're young and you're drinking and whatever the case may be. And so um, something eerie inside of me told me to um, just press the recorder on my phone and uh, just keep it like down in my pocket um, because I, I just had some weird, strange feeling that something wasn't going to go right. So the young lady walks up to me and she asks me, can she, you know, go down on me? And I was like, nah, I'm good. So after she did that, me and my frat brother, we walked out, you know, they did, you know, the other frat brothers, they did what they had to do. And so the young lady had, 
uh, some cousins or whatever have you that uh, wanted, I guess, to participate in this, you know, whatever that they had going. And my frat brothers told them no for whatever reason they told them no. So when the girl left, um, I guess she told her cousins or her friends that, you know, she had um, sex with two guys. And then the girls told her, if you had sex with more than one person, then that's rape. You need to tell the security guard how many people were in the room. She said there were four people in the room, but I had sex with two guys. So the friend says, oh, you was raped by four people. If they're there and they're participating, they're with it. Oh, my gosh, it was crazy. And so we didn't even get off the campus. And, you know, the girl that I was messing with was literally calling, saying, don't come back to the campus because um, because uh, uh, they're saying that y'all were a part of raping some girl. And I was like, yo, what? I was with you. And then I talked to such and such down at the wash or whatever, whatever. She said, I know, I know. We'll see what's going on. So I went to the campus, losing my mind, about to go crazy. Detective calls me the next day. Come to the precinct, and we're in, like, East Texas. So I'm like, oh, my gosh. This is crazy. I've only told, like, three people this. So uh, y'all got to be family. So, you know, I'm talking about how drunkenness, not living with guardrails, could literally affect your life long term. And, you know, if if you're if you're in a fraternity or or, or or you you been one of the popular guys. I mean, you know where I'm going with this. And so um, went went to the precinct, and I'm freaking out. Went to the precinct, and um, at the time, um, it was a it was a Caucasian lady and a Caucasian male, and I knew this was it. But it was a black girl that was, you know, in question. So they questioned her, and she changed her story like three or four times already. And what saved me was I secretly had the recording of her walking up and it was a proof that it was willing, um, you know, uh, she was, you know, willing, not out of out of her control. She was well in, you know, uh, her right mind. And she was doing whatever. And it proved that I was not a part of any of it. And uh, after showing the detective that and them doing integrity check and a background check, on me and my frat brothers, never having any records, never doing anything like that, they were able to prove. And the lady, the girl recanted her story um, um, after the detective, you know, began to drill them, drill her. And long story short, she recanted her story, and she said that she was lying. And the only reason that she said that is that because her cousins told her that that's what she wanted to do, and she didn't want to disappoint her father because the cousins said that they were going to tell her father. Long story short. You know, we we, we, we we were good, and the young lady apologized uh, to me sp- specifically and the other guy that had nothing to do with it, apologized because she, she knew that she was wrong. And the detective told her that, that, that there was a recording, um, not a tape, but a recording uh, that proved that uh, what I was saying was, in fact, the truth. Long story short, um, uh, what the point that I'm making is uh, me not living a life of rules – and having standards for myself would have caused me to lose my life. Would have caused me to lose my life. Have there been plenty of threesomes that have happened and everything was platonic with people in life? Yeah. Have I had a threesome before and nothing ever happened? Yes. Um, But in that situation, I did nothing. And I almost went to jail for rape on something I did not do and the girl recanted and she and everyone on the campus, my campus, literally 
uh, talked about my integrity, how much of a gentleman I was and all this stuff. But the point I'm making is God created guardrails of life to protect us. Yes, there are some people who get away with doing what they're doing and never get in trouble. Yes, but that should not be the standard of which we live. That should not be the standard of which we live. That should not be. That that it, it should not be uh, of, of why we make the decisions that we make. Yes, there are people who have literally financed a car and paid monthly payments on the car to the bank. And they, they then they, you know, get that car and then they never got in debt again. Or, yes, there are some been some people who have gotten the house and then built the equity in the house, paid down the house, and then paid off the house and, and did all that, and then never got in debt again. There are people who have done it, but that should not be the standard of which we are accustomed to. God wants us to be a part of his system, not the world system. The Bible says uh, to be transformed by the renewing of your mind uh, uh, and to be in the world but not of the world. Be transformed by the renewing of the mind. To be in the world but not of the world means I'm living in this world, but you do not have to submit to traditional thinking when it comes to being successful financially there are more people than not that literally die uh, I, I did a research and i wrote in my book surviving financial cancer you can go to survivingfinancialcancer.com if you want the book and in this book i st- i scientifically and statistically prove how debt literally debt is the number one cause of death in black america and i'll prove it to you in two minutes here it goes if you go to the cdc.gov centers of control and disease dot uh, gov which is a government regulated site if you go to the CDC, it says that the number one cause of death in black America is heart disease. If you look up the number one cause of heart disease, it's called acute and chronic stress. Acute stress is when you got sharp moments of stress, but your body goes back to its normal rate. Chronic stress is the accumulation of acute stress over a long period of time. What could be the cause of chronic stress? Chronic stress is being in a relationship you ain't got no business being in. Dealing with stressors that you're not supposed to be dealing with, having debt problems, having finance problems, having money problems. Seventy six percent of Americans live paycheck to paycheck. Yet people are arguing with me on the best way to live life that are literally struggling financially. Me and my wife don't struggle financially. We don't have financial struggles. And you're talking to somebody that grew up with nothing and, and had a business with nothing. And, 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 and had repos and kicked out the house and, and, and evictions. And I'm, I'm happy to say that we don't have financial struggles like that no more because we built our we began to start to submit to the biblical principles that are here. And so what I'm saying is what I'm saying is, is that, uh, you know, we're, 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 the number one cause of heart disease is acute and chronic stress. The number one cause of chronic stress is financial stress. Financial hopelessness to have to be financially hopeless means one thing. It means that you are watch this. Please listen. It means that you never feel like you're, you can't really for real get out your mess. You make plans to, but you never do. You always flip your car, you trade in your car and then you back in car debt. You always feel like you're going to have student debt. You always feel like you're always going to have home debt. And the only thing that you're thinking about getting out of it, you want somebody to come save. You want the government to come save you. You want uh, bankruptcy to come save you. And you keep paying these shady credit people to eliminate the debt off your credit report or you're doing bankruptcies. I literally did a financial coaching with somebody that said, I'm, I'm going to do, do another bankruptcy. I said, what do you mean another bankruptcy? She said, oh, yeah, if I've done two bankruptcies before. I'm going to do another one. It's going to clean the debt that I have right here, and I'm going to start over, and this time it's going to be better. 
How can you be better? You still have the same problem. You're still struggling with the same habit. And it's causing you to never, and she, you know, no offense, she's literally in the same position as she was two bankruptcies ago. So many people ask me, Brother Ben asks, man, how do I know that you're going live? How do I know when you're producing a podcast? And I saw you also just made $130,000 in two days. Well, there's a way that you guys can get informed from us via text message. All you have to do is text 50K to 210-504-4094, and we'll give you more information with free game, and we'll let you guys know how we made $130,000 in two days. Text the word 50K to 210-504-4094. We'll give you updates, notifications, and let you guys know how we made 130000 in two days. Peace. A bankruptcy doesn't fix you. The problem is you. You're drunk in lust for greed of living above your means. You're drunk in, in, in impressing people that you ain't got no business impressing. Paul says that in Ephesians 5, verse 18, do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation. Means Dissipation means to, to, to splurge and to literally get, um, uh, and to literally uh, squander away money, energy, and resources. So, in that situation that I was in in college, if I were not so drunken in lust, trying to go have sex in a place I had no business, I, I had no business being there. And I had no business sleeping with the young lady that I was sleeping with. I had no business getting drunk and going there. And because of that, my frat brothers end up going back another time, and three of them almost ended up dead drinking and driving. Why? Because we drove there drunk one time. We drove there drinking one time. And because, watch this, because we got away with it one time, that became the standard of which we traveled. And the car that they were driving in was literally crumbled. They got crashed by a truck. And thank God they survived. But, you know, one of them got almost a you know robotic arm now inside of his regular arm with a bunch of steel. So what we get away with should not be the standard of which we live. That's what Paul is saying, not to be drunk. Because I can get drunk one time and drink wine. And I'm like, okay, nothing happened. But if I continuously, if what happens when you get drunk when you drink wine? For me, if I get drunk when I drink wine, me and my wife get in like these crazy, like weird arguments, and it screws up our week for two weeks. And and I realize that me getting drunk is not the subset of of having a healthy relationship. So we don't do it. Uh, and, and so when you think about those things, when it comes to why God has guardrails in our life, is to protect us. Why do you tell your child not to uh, touch the uh, electric socket? It's not that the electric socket does not generate energy and can't light up a whole entire room. It's because you know that the misuse of it, not using it correctly, could cause harm to your child. The reason why you tell your child not to be out the house no longer than eight or nine, depending upon the age, is because you know what happens in the dark. You know the decisions that we make when we're out when we ain't supposed to be. The, that's the importance of guardrails. You know the, you know what happens when you get drunk and you end up at the club somewhere you ain't got no business being. You end up participating in conversations and losing time and resources, hanging out and talking with somebody you ain't got no business talking with. Now your drunkenness leads to lust, and the lust leads to consequences of higher risk of STDs, higher risk of babies, higher risk of uh, an interchanging spirits with somebody that has demonic spirits. These are, these are the subsets of not live, having a life of guardline, 
guardrails. And so when I talk to people about being safe and being more on the conservative side, people literally destroy me. They literally destroy me. They literally call me out of my name because I'm teaching people how to live a more financially free life by being frugal and being wise financial. I'm not telling you not to build a business and not to invest in yourself and not to shoot for the moon, but to shoot for the moon to make more money. That's just going to lead to drunkenness and lust for money. And what happens? You begin to breed babies um, and of 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 financial decisions that cause for you to literally lose time and sometimes use your life. Now, let me go back. Back to the point, the number one cause of death is uh, in black America's heart disease. The number one cause of heart disease is acute and chronic stress. The number one cause of acute and chronic stress is financial hopelessness. And the number one cause of financial hopelessness is debt. Seventy percent of your arguments when you're married in your household has something to do with something dealing with money. The root cause of the decision uh, of your problem is money. The root cause of a lot of the situations that we're in has a lot to do with financial disparity, living in lack, and then getting in debt. Well, Jake, I'm, I don't have debt. I just don't have enough money. Well, that means you need to develop more skill sets. You need to move in the uh, into an environment that has more opportunities. Being in debt, being in debt causes you to have a dependency factor. In, in, in thinking that the bank is the only way that you can be successful is causing you to have a dependency a, a factor on the world system and not God's system. God tells us to be, God tells us to be fruitful and to multiply. God tells us that we're going to have a abundance. God gives us the example of the widow meeting Elisha, prophet Elisha, and having jars that runneth over and having multiple jars. That's the theme of our company here, having multiple jars where God continues to bless us. But to sit and say that the only way that you can literally be successful, the only way that you can purchase houses are um, or, or build a business is only if you use debt. So let's do the numbers. We're gonna, I'm going I'm to I'm pull out a piece of paper. If you're listening to the podcast or whatever you have, whatever's going on, what I want you to do, I want, I want us to do the numbers. I want us to do the numbers. Let's say we're going to do side by side. We're going to do side by side. We're going to do, um, and I should have brought my board in here. I'm sorry, guys. I'll do that on the next show. I was just excited that we can get the mic up with our brother Ben. We're going to do side by side a $200,000 property. Let's say investment property. One is paid for in cash and one is financed. One is paid for in cash and one is financed. It's a three-bed, two-bath. I'm going to prove to you that God's system works a lot better than man's system. So somebody's had the nerve to tell me. They said, Jake, nobody has $200,000. Well, everyone has $200,000. Why? Because the average black American makes $1.5 million over the lifetime of their working career. The average. You're talking about $30,000, $35,000 a year. The average black American, well, the, uh, this is actually American. The, actual, the average American spends $1,082,577 on debt and financing. That's literally giving up. That's literally giving up. Uh, let's, let's do the math. $1,082,577 divided into 
1.5 mil. You're literally giving up 72% of all of your money typically goes to debt and finance charges. So you can't tell me that somebody can't save $200,000 when, when, so what we're doing, we're going to compare what we're going to do. We're going to do math. We're going to compare a property that is used by debt to generate cash flow and a property that is used by cash to generate cash flow. And we're going to do over a 30 year period. We're going to do over a 30 year period. I'm going to prove to you guys that God's system wins day in and day out. You ready? Here it goes. So if somebody were to get a $200,000 home, $200,000 home, and they were to use debt, they would be paying $955 a month for mortgage. This person that's paying cash was, is going to save $20,000 a year. They're going to save $20,000 a year for 10 years. So this person won't get a property for 10 years and the person that is utilizing debt will get a property day one. And I'm about to prove to you guys, just using numbers, no emotions, how God's system works a lot better than man's system. We're going to talk about using cash, right? We're, we're, I'm, I, I, we don't particularly just use cash, but we're going to use you know example by example. So this family on the right, family A. It's going to save $20,000 for 10 years. So that means in 10 years, they're going to be able to purchase a $200,000 home. Family uh, family B, B does that. Family A borrows money from the bank, and they're going to finance a home for $955 a mortgage a year for 30 years. This is their investment property. So both of them, um, for a three-bed, two-bath, are going to be able to rent out their homes for sixteen hundred bucks a month, for sixteen hundred dollars a month. So the person who is borrowing money from the bank for this investment property for a three bed, two bath, they're paying nine fifty five to the bank. They're charging the they're charging the renter sixteen hundred dollars. If I were to subtract sixteen hundred dollars minus nine fifty five, that lets me know that this person is going to have a uh, property cash flow. Property cash flow, cash flow revenue of $645. So this person is responsible for a $200,000 home. They're getting $955 mortgage. And they have a property cash flow of $645. That's not including the maintenance charge. So we got to, we got to charge a 1.25 maintenance charge. Uh, and we have to attach it to the mortgage for the yearly maintenance charge on the mortgage. So we do $955 times 1.25. This is the standard uh, maintenance rate. We divide that by 12, which is your monthly. So that's going to be 955 times 1.25, which is 1193, divided by 12 months. That's going to give us $99 a month in maintenance. 645 minus $99 is $546. The average property tax on a three-bedroom, two-bath is about $150 a month. Property tax is $1,800 a year. So this person's going to walk away 
five forty six minus property tax one hundred fifty bucks a month. So three hundred for a three bedroom, two bath, at two hundred thousand dollars of debt, they're paying nine hundred and fifty five dollars of mortgage. This person is going to walk away with three hundred and ninety six dollars a month net cash flow. They're going to do that for 12 months. That's $4,752 a year that they're going to make from this one property. They're going to multiply this property times, times um, 10 years, which means that this person at the 10 year mark is going to be able to have made 47,200. I mean, $520. They would have made $47,520 in 10 years while the person on the right saved $20,000 a year. Person on the right saved $20,000 a year for 10 years. Now, somebody's going to say, Jake, think about it. How can anybody save $20,000 a year for 10 years? It is absolutely possible to save $20,000 a year for 10 years if you uh, decide what's most important, your legacy or your necessity for having things that you don't need. Um, and it's absolutely possible. I have somebody, I have a young man who makes $19,000 a year who saves $800 a month. The dude literally saves half of his income a year because he's deciding to live low so that tomorrow he can live high. What we're doing, we're comparing a property. We're comparing in, in, in tomorrow's show or tonight's show in God Economics. I'm, I'm actually going to uh, try to get the board. Uh, but so what we're comparing, family A used their credit and they borrowed money from the bank to get a $200,000 property. They're paying nine fifty five dollars a month. They're charging $1,600 in rent. For a three-bed, two-bath, I'm not even going to calculate that every two years, every year and a half, two years, that the person who is renting out their property is going to be paying, uh, is going to uh, be without a renter for three months. I'm not going to even calculate that right now. I'm just calculating dollar for dollar. Family B is going to save money for 10 years. They're not going to have a property. So family A has a cash flowing property using the bank's money. Family B is just going to save money for 10 years. Now, what's happening is after you do the expenses of the maintenance rate and after you do the expenses of taxes on the property per month, this three bedroom, two bath is going to cash flow somebody three hundred and ninety six dollars a month from a three bedroom, two bath property after paying the mortgage. If somebody is borrowing money from the bank. So side uh, family B. They're in this 10th year. Family A made $47,520 um, uh, from this property that they mortgaged from the bank. Family B has just got a property 10 years later. And I'm about to show you how somebody literally in 20 years only using cash will out cash flow a property that a family literally had borrowing from the bank for 30 years. So after 30 years of this, of this family, after 30 years of this family using the bank's money and cash flowing a property for 30 years, they would have cash flowed from this one property $142,560 from using the bank's money. That's family B. That's family A. Family B only used cash. They saved $20,000 a year for 10 years. And then for 20 years, they actually bought a property 
that they're going to provide maintenance on. So let's do the same math. Now that they own this three-bed, two-bath outright, and they don't have to pay any bank, this $1,600 a month that they're paying in, uh, that they're charging in rent goes directly to them. Once I do that $1,600 a month, I subtract $99 a month for the property, uh, for the maintenance charge, minus the $150. So that's $1,600 minus the same charges I minus uh, on over here on family A, minus the $150 tax. That's this family's going to cash flow from this property $1,351. They're going to cash flow from this property $1,351 a month. For 30 years, for, I'm sorry, for 20 years, this family that bought this property cash waited 10 years to get their property. It's literally going to cash flow $324,000 in 20 years purchasing their property 10 years later than a family borrowing money today because they wanted to move before God. The family that borrowed money from the bank and cash flow the property for 30 years only would have walked away from a three bedroom, two bath with $142,000 in cash flow over 30 years. A family that waited 10 years, saved their money, and then cash flowed the property for 20 years with the same parameters, the same, uh, the same uh, rules. This family would have cash flowed $324,000 for the same one property and only used 20 years from the other family using 30. There is nobody on God's green earth that can get me to believe that God's rules don't work better than man's rules. Nobody. Nobody can get me to Nobody can get me to think any different. Nobody can get me to think any different. Well, no challenges for the day. Nobody calling in. What I want to tell you is, listen, no matter what anybody tells you, your cousin Jake, I love you. And there's absolutely nothing that you can do about it. Peace. Be blessed. Hey, family, listen, I know COVID has messed up some of our vision and some of us, our vision for our family and our future looks a little blurry, but we want to help bring the vision back to 2020. We want you to be able to see the success and everything that you plan for 2020 to be. We want to help bring that vision back. So we have a crazy bundle for you going into Black Friday. This bundle, we got Purpose to Profit, which is a full course that's going to teach you how to turn your purpose into a product and that product into a profitable business, six-figure business from scratch. We're going to teach you how to turn your purpose into a product. We're going to teach you how to market, how to scale, how to productize. We're going to teach you how to test. We're going to teach you how to package this product so that you can be able to take it into the marketplace to be able to do great things. Not only with that bundle, you're also going to get Private Banking Blueprint where we teach you how to build your own banking system. Yes, you heard me, your own banking system. And guess what? Guess what? It's only going to be for $368. Yes, you heard it. $368. You're going to get an actual physical copy of the textbook of Private Bank and Blueprint. All of that course together for $368 all the way up until Black Friday. If you want to move on that bundle, go to visionbundle.com. Visionbundle.com and take action today.